Hello, this is Adrian Hendricks and Jerry Hendricks of Say One More Now Incorporated, where our focus is to lovingly confront all activities dishonoring human life created in the image of God. There's no greater dishonor to God in human life than to bypass by ignorance or rejection his salvation that is only available through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Thank you for joining us. Today's message is entitled, Jesus' Instructions from Matthew Chapter 6, in which Jesus addressed giving, prayer, where to store treasures, and worry. Today we will discuss giving, or charitable deeds, and prayer. The Lord begins by addressing motive in almsgiving, which refers to charitable deeds toward the poor. Take care not to do your good deeds publicly or before men in order to be seen by them. Otherwise, you will have no reward reserved for and awaiting you with and from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, whenever you give to the poor, do not blow a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites in the synagogues and in the streets like to do, that they may be recognized and honored and praised by men. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward in full already. But when you give to charity, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your deeds of charity may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Psalm 112 verses 5 through 10 says this about the fate of those who share with others. It is well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. He will not be moved forever. The uncompromisingly righteous, the upright, the right standing with God shall be an everlasting remembrance. He shall not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is firmly fixed, trusting, leaning on, and being confident in the Lord. His heart is established and steady. He will not be afraid while he waits to see his desire established upon his adversaries. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor and needy. His righteousness, uprightness, and right standing with God endures forever. His horn shall be exalted in honor. The wicked man will see it and be grieved and angered. He will gnash his teeth and disappear in despair. The desire of the wicked shall perish and come to nothing. Such a person, also described at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 9 and 10, is rewarded by the Lord. As it is written, the benevolent person scatters abroad, he gives to the poor. His deeds of justice and goodness and kindness and benevolence will go on and endure forever. And God, who provides seed for the sower and bread for eating, will also provide and multiply your resources for sowing and increase the fruits of your righteousness, which manifests itself in active goodness, kindness, and charity. Bible teacher Albert Barnes makes this consideration. Our Lord does not require us never to give alms before people, but only forbids our doing it to be seen of them for the purposes of ostentation and to seek their praise. To a person who is disposed to do good from a right motive, it matters little whether it be in public or in private. The only thing that renders it even desirable that our good deeds should be seen is that God may be glorified. If your only motive for doing it is to be seen by people, God will not reward you. Take heed, therefore, that you do not do it to be seen, otherwise God will not reward you. Jesus continues the theme of motive for deeds at Matthew 5, verse 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your moral excellence and your praiseworthy, noble, and good deeds and recognize and honor and praise and glorify your Father who is in heaven. 
Jesus continues in Matthew 6, verses 5 through 8 on the subject of prayer. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by people. Truly I tell you, they have their reward in full already. But when you pray, go into your most private room, and closing the door, pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you in the open. And when you pray, do not heap up phrases, multiply words, repeating the same ones over and over as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their much speaking. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. 18th century Anglican priest Robert Hawker's commentary on verses 5 through 8 adds, Here the Lord speaks of prayer, and which is yet more expressed in reference to the Lord. Secret it must be between God and the soul, even in the public congregation. For what indeed is prayer but immediate communion, in which the only parties are Jehovah and his people? No lookers-on, no standers-by can be supposed to interrupt the conference, but alas, how little understood by the great mass of what the world calls worshipers. Strictly and properly speaking, there can be no prayer where there is no acquaintance. Every graceless person is a prayerless person. John 16 verses 23 through 27 records Jesus' words to his disciples. And when that time comes, you will ask nothing of me. You will need to ask me no questions. I assure you, most solemnly I tell you, that my Father will grant you whatever you ask in my name as presenting all that I am. Up to this time you have not asked a single thing in my name as presenting all that I am. But now ask and keep on asking and you will receive, so that your joy, gladness, delight may be full and complete. I have told you these things in parables. The hour is now coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but I shall tell you about the Father in plain words and openly. At that time you will ask, Pray in my name, and I am not saying that I would ask the Father on your behalf, for it will be unnecessary. For the Father himself tenderly loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came out from the Father. And the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, saying at Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, Do not fret or have any anxiety about anything, but in every circumstance and in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, continue to make your wants known to God, and God's peace, which transcends all understanding, shall garrison and mount guard over your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. As we continue at Matthew 6, verses 9 through 13, we see that Jesus said, Pray, therefore, like this, Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Here are some thoughts and considerations on the Lord's Prayer offered by others who have distinguished themselves in teaching of the Bible. Bible teacher Albert Barnes made this observation. 
This passage contains the Lord's Prayer, a composition unequaled for comprehensiveness and for beauty. It is supposed that some of these petitions were taken from those in common use among the Jews. Indeed, some of them are still to be found in Jewish writings, but they did not exist in this beautiful combination. This prayer is given as a model. It is designed to express the manner in which we are to pray, evidently not the precise words or petitions which we are to use. The Cambridge Bible for Schools and Colleges explains the prayer opening. Our Father is of the essence of Christian prayer that God should be addressed as a Father to whose love we appeal, not as a God whose anger we appease. The analogy removes nearly all the real difficulties on the subject of prayer. A wise earthly father does not grant all requests, but all which are for the good of his children and which are in his power to grant. Again, the child asks without fear, yet no refusal shakes his trust in his father's love or power. Bible teacher Matthew Henry explains, The preface, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thusly. Before we come to our business, there must be a solemn address to him with whom our business lies. Our Father, intimating that we must pray not only alone and for ourselves, but with and for others, for we are members one of another and are called into fellowship with each other. We are here taught to whom to pray, to God only, and not to saints and angels, for they are ignorant of us, are not to have the high honors we give in prayer, nor can give favors we expect. We are taught how to address ourselves to God and what title to give Him, that which speaks Him rather beneficent than magnificent, for we are to come boldly to the throne of grace. As our Father in heaven, so in heaven as to be everywhere else, for the heaven cannot contain Him, yet so in heaven as there to manifest His glory, for it is His, and it is to believers a throne of grace. Thitherward we must direct our prayers, for Christ the Mediator is now in heaven. Heaven is out of sight and a world of spirits. Therefore, our converse with God in prayer must be spiritual. It is on high. Therefore, in prayer, we must be raised above the world and lift up our hearts. Heaven is a place of perfect purity, and we must therefore lift up pure hands, must study to sanctify His name, who is the Holy One, and dwells in that holy place. From heaven, God beholds the children of men. He is not only, as a Father, able to help us, able to do great things for us, more than we can ask or think. He has wherewith to supply our needs, for every good gift is from above. He is a Father, and therefore we may come to Him with boldness, but a Father in heaven, and therefore we must come with reverence. Thus, all our prayers should correspond with that which is our great aim as Christians, and that is, to be with God in heaven. God in heaven. The end of our whole conversation must be particularly eyed in every prayer. There is the center to which we are all tending. By prayer, we send before us thither where we profess to be going. Hallowed be thy name. It is the same word that in other places is translated sanctified. But here the old word hallowed is retained only because people were used to it in the Lord's Prayer. In these words, we give glory to God. It may be taken not as a petition, but as an adoration, as that the Lord be magnified or glorified. For God's holiness is the greatness and glory of all his perfections. 
We must begin our prayers with praising God, and it is very fit he should be first served, and that we should give glory to God before we expect to receive mercy and grace from him. Let him have praise of his perfections, and then let us have the benefit of them. The Apostle Paul gives a preview of God's holiness at 1 Timothy 6, verses 15 and 16, which appearing will be shown forth in his own proper time by the blessed, only sovereign ruler, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality and lives in unapproachable light, whom no man has ever seen or can see, unto him be honor and everlasting power and dominion. Amen. The effect of God's holiness on people in heaven can be seen at Revelation 4, verses 10 and 11. Twenty-four elders fall prostrate before him who is sitting on the throne, and they worship him who lives forever and ever, and they throw down their crowns before the throne, crying out, Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive the glory and the honor and dominion, for you created all things. By your will they were brought into being and were created. We read more at Revelation chapter 5, verses 11 through 14, about the holiness of the Lord. Then I looked, and I heard the voices of many angels on every side of the throne, and of the living creatures and the elders. And they numbered ten thousand times ten thousand, and thousands of thousands, saying in a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, to receive all the power and riches, and wisdom, and might, and honor, and majesty, glory, splendor, and blessing. And I heard every created thing in heaven, and on earth, and under the earth, and on the sea, and all that is in it, crying out together to him who is seated on the throne, and to the Lamb, be ascribed the blessing, and the honor, and the majesty, glory, splendor, and the power forever and ever, through the eternity of the eternities. Then the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders prostrated themselves, and worshipped him who lives forever and ever. 18th century cleric and evangelist John Wesley states this on Your kingdom come, your will be done. May the kingdom of grace come quickly and swallow up all the kingdoms of the earth. May all mankind receiving thee, O Christ, for their king, truly believing in thy name, be filled with all righteousness and peace and joy, with holiness and happiness, till they are removed hence into thy kingdom of glory, to reign with thee forever and ever. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May all the inhabitants of the earth do thy will as willingly as the holy angels. May these do it continually even as they, without any interruption of their willing service, yea, and perfectly as they. Mayest thou, O Spirit of grace, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make them perfect in every good work to do thy will, and work in them all that is well-pleasing in thy sight. At Revelation 11.15 we are told, The seventh angel then blew his trumpet, and there were mighty voices in heaven shouting, The dominion, kingdom, sovereignty, rule of the world has now come into the possession and become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ the Messiah, and he shall reign forever and ever from the eternities of the eternities. At Revelation 12 verse 10, then I heard a strong, loud voice in heaven saying, Now it has come, the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God, and the power, the sovereignty, the authority of his Christ, the Messiah, for the accuser of our brethren, he who keeps bringing before our God charges against them day and night, has been cast down. And at Revelation 20, verse 4, we read, 
Then I saw thrones, and sitting on them were those to whom authority to act as judges and to pass sentence was entrusted. Also I saw the souls of those who had been slain with axes for their witnessing to Jesus and for preaching and testifying for the word of God, and who had refused to pay homage to the beast or his statue, and had not accepted the mark or permitted them to be stamped on their foreheads or their hands. And they lived again and ruled with Christ the Messiah a thousand years. Returning to Matthew chapter 6, verse 11, Give us this day our daily bread, John Wesley continues, Give us, O Father, for we claim nothing of right, but only of thy free mercy this day. For we take no thought for the morning, our daily bread, all things needful for our souls and bodies, not only the meat that perisheth, but the sacramental bread, and thy grace, the food which endureth to everlasting life. At Psalm 34, verse 10, the young lions lack food and suffer hunger, but they who seek, inquire of, and require the Lord, none of them shall lack any beneficial thing. And at Proverbs 30, verse 8, Remove far from me falsehood and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Inspired these words from Bible teacher Adam Clark. Sin is represented here under the notion of a debt, and as our sins are many, they are called here debts. God made man that he might live to his glory and gave him a law to walk by. And if, when he does anything that tends not to glorify God, he contracts a debt with divine justice, how much more is he debtor when he breaks the law by actual transgression? It has been justly observed, all the attributes of God are reasons of obedience to man. Those attributes are infinite. Every sin is an act of ingratitude or rebellion against all these attributes. Therefore, sin is infinitely sinful. Forgive us. Man has nothing to pay. If his debts are not forgiven, they must stand charged against him forever, as he is absolutely insolvent. Forgiveness, therefore, must come from the free mercy of God in Christ. And how strange is it we cannot have the old debt canceled without, by that very means, contracting a new one, as great as the old. But the credit is transferred from justice to mercy. While sinners, we are in debt to infinite justice, when pardoned, in debt to endless mercy. And as a continuance in a state of grace necessarily implies a continual communication of mercy, so the debt goes on increasing ad infinitum. Strange economy in the divine procedure, which by rendering a man an infinite debtor, keeps him eternally dependent on his Creator. How good is God? And what does this state of dependence imply? A union with and participation of the fountain of eternal goodness and felicity. As we forgive our debtors, it was a maxim among the ancient Jews that no man should lie down in his bed without forgiving those who had offended him. That man condemns himself to suffer eternal punishment who makes use of this prayer with revenge and hatred in his heart. He who will not attend to a condition so advantageous to himself, remitting a hundred pence to his debtor that his own creditor may remit him ten thousand talents, is a madman who, to oblige his neighbor to suffer an hour, is himself determined to suffer everlastingly. This condition of forgiving our neighbor, though it cannot possibly merit anything, yet it is that condition without which God will pardon no man. Verse 13 reads, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. 
Amen. We look at John Wesley's notes on this portion of the prayer. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Whenever we are tempted, O thou that helpest our infirmities, suffer us not to enter into temptation, to be overcome of several loss thereby, but make a way for us to escape, so that we may be more than conquerors through thy love over sin and all the consequences of it. For thine is the kingdom, the sovereign right of all things that are or ever were created. The power, the executive power, whereby thou govern all things in thy everlasting kingdom, and the glory, the praise due from every creature for thy power and all thy wondrous works, and the mightiness of thy kingdom, which endure through all ages, even forever and ever. Paul explains at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. 2 Peter 2, 9 agrees, Now if all these things are true, then be sure the Lord knows how to rescue the godly out of temptations and trials, and how to keep the ungodly under chastisement until the day of judgment and doom. And the risen Jesus has this to say to the Philadelphian church at Revelation 3, verse 10, Because you have guarded and kept my word of patient endurance, have held fast the lesson of my patience with the expectant endurance that I give you, I also will keep you safe from the hour of trial, testing which is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell upon the earth. Jesus made this explanation after the prayer at Matthew 6, verses 14 through 15. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Bible teacher Albert Barnes says this with regard to these verses. This is constantly required in the Bible. Our Savior says we should forgive even if the offense be committed 70 times, 7 times. By this is meant that when a man asks forgiveness, we are cordially and forever to pardon the offense. We are to declare our willingness to forgive him. If he does not ask forgiveness, yet we are still to treat him kindly, not to harbor malice, not to speak ill of him, to be ready to do him good, and be always prepared to declare him forgiven when he asks it. And if we are not ready and willing to forgive him, we are assured that God will not forgive us. We at Say One More Now, Incorporated, encourage all listeners to seek the Lord for His calling on your life. If you faithfully spend time with Him throughout the day, you will come to know without a doubt that He really loves you and He has a purpose for your being here. We can be reached by email at truelife at saveonemorenow.org or on our telephone number in the United States, 850-727-0493. We look forward to joining you next week and ask you to remember, Life is good. God gives life. God is good.